The agents of chaos have decided to bring their wicked deeds to our doorstep. You all know about the events in California and the desecration of grave markers and the rest of it. By now, that's old news. You've probably heard about the call by some of the cultural leaders of the agents of chaos to destroy images of our blessed Lord and Savior because they are, in their estimation, symbols of the evil they are fighting against. Many Catholics are silent right now, standing idly by because they have fully imbibed of the civil religion and that particularly toxic variant of it. What we're seeing now is the latest iteration of iconoclasm, which can be sanitarily described as a heresy that says that religious images must come down. The Puritans in our own history held this view, and during Luther's rebellion, the iconoclasts were waging a full war against the church. I'm going to go over iconoclasm for you today and tell you something you might not, not want to hear. The new iconoclasts are not only outside the church, but are inside as well, and have been running the show since the 1960s. By now you know the story. Agents of chaos run amok, secular leaders doing virtually nothing, and even at times aiding them in their destruction. In California, this touched on Catholics, with rumors that good King St. Louis will be next in the Midwest. All the while, grave markers have been targeted, and the calls for the interred bodies to be cast into the sea by agents of chaos are now making the rounds on social media with no consequences. After we watched the missionary saint come down in California, many norm normal lay faithful began to ask a very serious question. Where are the bishops? Can't they do something? They've got a response from Bishop Barron, who released a letter on behalf of the bishops of California and the USCCB. It's not even worth reading, and it makes too many explicit statements that aren't friendly to the sensibilities of our hosts, but it does go something like this. He calls for the movement and the culture to, be conf to confront what we call the R-word, inspiring, and cause for hope, but has come with challenges. He notes the attempt to erase history, which is my characterization of it, not his, and he says there needs to be careful discernment and dialogue to see if that's the proper course of action. I'm surprised he left out the word accompaniment. If you want to read the text, it should be posted on the sources blog at returntotradition.org. A link to the site is in the description box of this video or audio podcast. And it, again, returntotradition.org. I do get a lot of emails asking where my sources are when they're linked in with every video. Anyway, his letter does nothing to mention the rise of anti-Catholic ideas and the rise of a system that has been condemned by eight consecutive popes, nor does it do anything to condemn the rampant chaos that has touched the lives of people not even remotely involved in all this. Instead, what we have is a limp response to a real crisis. Now, he was challenged on social media about this letter by some normal lay Catholic demanding to know where the bishops were and, what they were, and why they were doing nothing at all in response. And his response was that the Second Vatican Council put such secular concerns into the hands of the lady. Somewhere, Bishop Dagger John is seething because there was a leader. Someday, I'll do a bio on him in a Forgotten Saints video, despite the fact that he isn't canonized and probably never will be due to his attitudes and methods for defending the faithful from the agents of chaos of his day. Once upon a time, Catholics stood up for ourselves. We knew our history. We knew that we could trace directly an unbroken line of succession from our shepherds today to Jesus Christ himself. We knew that our church was established by Christ himself. We knew the reality of extra ecclesium nulla salis. We knew these things. Not anymore. Most Catholics now, like most people in the Western world, go along to get along. 
are lukewarm in their faith and tepid in the right-ordered love of country that they have. Most just watch as wicked people engage in behaviors our forebears would have stood against. Now, why is that? There are a lot of reasons, beginning with our intellects being darkened by sin. I dare say that any man who would guard his cathedral cannot be a stranger to the confessional order of the Eucharist. I would say that any man who rarely goes to confession and receives the Eucharist unworthily is going to take a rather is never going to take a personal risk like that. Courage and fidelity go hand in hand, and the agents of chaos are in a lot of ways braver than many men in the in mitres today. That is a fact as demonstrated by this letter. Read it for yourselves. Like I said, it's on my website for your perusal. If you think Bishop Barron's response was weak, you're not alone. But we shouldn't be surprised. After the Second Vatican Council, the new iconoclast took power in the church. Catholics had a front row seat to an almost unprecedented wave of iconoclasm in the church, with altars and sacred imagery being smashed and thrown in the dumpster. Many parishes had literal bulldozers in the chapel that ripped the altars up. A few years, short years later, many of the most beautiful parishes in the Western world were demolished and replaced with the hideous church-in-the-round thing that many Catholics are subject to now, built in such a way that the traditional Mass is thought to be impossible to be said. The joke's on them, though. I've seen the traditional liturgy said in one of those parishes, and it can be done rather easily. The iconoclasm is a feature of revolutions, even ones that build themselves as reform efforts. Michael Davies, the late critic of the Council and defender of the Catholic faith, wrote extensively about this. His book, The Catholic Sanctuary and the Second Vatican Council, really goes into detail about the English Reformation and how Cramner targeted and destroyed anything related to what he called popery, meaning Catholicism. Davis' points is that the Council brought this to us in a real way, too, complete with Cramner tables that replaced altars. Davies, a historian of the Reformation and of English history in general, noted that this fit the definition of revolution that was being given by popes before the council, also noting that Catholics who did not go along with or criticize the tearing out of altars and destruction of sacred art were accused by the bishops of being disobedient to the council, which is a unique charge in history as far as anyone can guess. Usually you're, you're being charged with disobedience to the Holy Father, but one effects of the council was a usurpation of papal power that was then placed in the hands of the bishops, sort of equalizing or democratizing of the hierarchy. If you've ever wondered how we got various changes to the liturgy that are particularly repugnant like communion in the hand, that's how it happened. Rome said no, the bishops did it anyway, with no consequences, until the Vatican acquiesced. This is also why there wasn't, hasn't really been much done about some of the very worst bishops in history who enabled the kinds of crimes we can't talk about here. This happened on a lot of different issues because papal power was eroded, until someone who was a full-throated supporter in the embodiment of the spirit of that council came to power. Then papal power returned. Funny how that worked out. I mentioned the council in the aftermath of the council because you, like me, must be wondering where our leaders are. As Bishop Barron told you, the bishops are not our leaders. The council put secular affairs in the hands of the laity. This is, of course, nonsense, as the countless conferences on human fraternity and the sustainable development movement in the Vatican have attested to in this pontificate. But the bishops are not coming. Most of them will take no meaningful action against the new iconoclasts, at least not until it's too late, even if their evil work brings them into our parishes, and even if they meet their revolutionary work at our altars and with our sacred art. Like their predecessors, they deem images of our Lord to be evil and a violation of their version of the civil religion. That should be a warning for everyone. But it hasn't been taken as such. 
Many of our co-religionists and even our neighbors who don't share our faith or convictions continue to sleepwalk as if all this is no big deal. So in closing, I'll ask, where are the good men? In Tulsa, the agents of chaos were on the move when the city hosted a major political event that they had sabotaged, but Catholic men of goodwill stood guard outside the historic cathedral. Thankfully, nothing happened, but they were prepared to guard the cathedral in case the worst did. Will more good Catholic men stand up? That remains to be seen. But I do have faith that there are still being a few God-fearing men in our ranks. Pray for the bishops that they realize the mistake they're making before it is too late. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.